Genesis 11. Now the whole world had one language and a common speech. As people moved eastward, they found a plain in Sinar and settled there. They said to each other, come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. They said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower the people were building. The Lord said, if as one people speaking the same language, they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there all over the earth, and they stopped building the city. That is why it was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. Thank you, Willie. I thought that reading about the Tower of Babel was such a, you know, the Old Testament's brilliant because it has these stories. Cleansing, murder, rape, injustice, poverty. They're all creations of the rational mind. The word tyranny, I use the word tyranny of the rational mind. Tyranny is a cruel and oppressive government or regime. That's what it means, tyranny. A cruel or oppressive government or regime. And it's, it's derived from the word tyrant. And a tyrant is an absolute ruler, especially one without legal right. Cruel, oppressive ruler. And, you know, the way that the mind works is almost like that. For most of us, the mind, our minds are absolute rulers. And even if we think ourselves as spiritual and, and very elevated and mindful as well, I bet there are still times when, you know, the mind, your mind, unleashes its tyranny around you on your family or your friends or your partner. You know, we know that the mind does have a, that tyrannical street, tyrannical street. Now, once again, I want to remind you that we're talking about the rational mind here. The word mind itself comes from the German word gemind, which actually means memory. So the whole area of the mind, it, it suggests memory, remembrance, the state of being remembered. And that's what's sort of bound up in the whole concept of the mind, being able to go back to something else and, and relate to it. Memory is, is part of it. And it also the other word it comes from is the German word, uh, min. And that actually means love. And the original uh, idea of memory, of loving memory. There is the concept of, of loving memory. It comes from a, a root which means to think as well. And it, it denotes the state of mind. But there is this concept with mind, I'm not just talking about the Russian mind, of loving memory. And we can see really from that there is more 
than just the rational mind. You know, we've got the body mind. You know, that, those bits, the memories that are stored within us that teach us, you know, how we breathe our, our you know, our breaths and how we beat our hearts. You know, there's a, there's a memory within our bodies that just knows naturally what to do. I think there's a social mind. Remember, it's memories again we're talking about. Yeah, a social mind. And a combination of all, all the rational minds around us. And we think of the social mind as it develops, you know, as it recognizes uh, uh, social rights, that, you know, as it, as it recognizes how to, to behave with each other. And our social lives grow together. You know, slavery is not a good thing anymore. You know, we gradually go towards an understanding of civil rights, of all the different rights that come up. And our minds develop and remember, and, and there's that social mind. We talk in law of the concept of the controlling mind, where corporate law acknowledges that corporates have a moral responsibility. You know, they have to remember you know, what they're doing and what, what the effect it's having. Then there's the concept of a planetary mind, the memories and traces of how the Earth developed and how it remembers to carry on being sustainable. It remembers, you know, plants remember, the, the trees remember to keep on putting out their leaves and all that. It's, there's, a, there's a mind at work there. And I think that mind goes further. The whole of consciousness, in the broadest sense, is in fact a mind. In the way that it evolves is based upon memory. The whole of evolution is a mind. It's based upon remembering what worked. Anything that has a referential base can be seen as a mind. And it refers back to something else in order to continue its operation. You know, we're going to look at all these, some of these aspects of the mind over the next few weeks. And Jane Godley from Shakti Shah is going to be here on, in two weeks' time to talk to us about the whole idea of the body mind. So we're going to just sort of look at how the mind is working here. But the tyranny we're talking about here is, is the one that relates to the rational mind. The body mind and the planetary mind, I think tends, tend, those tend towards the idea, the German Min idea of a loving memory. There's an idea that love is an order given freely. And I think there is a sense of a loving order in the working of the universe. But that's something you have to work up yourself, I think. But I get a sense that there is a loving order in the universe, in the planet we live on, with plants and animals and our body, in that it keeps us actually going. But then you have the rational mind, which, let's face it, is the most advanced expression of consciousness that we're aware of. The rational mind is the most advanced expression of consciousness that we're aware of. It's capable of recognizing what's going on around it and through memory, able to reflect, self-reflect on its situation and adapt accordingly. It enabled us to come out of the plant and animal jungle and provide organized and planned food to keep us going. It enabled us to create communities, to build towns and cities, and to advance medicine and science to an incredible level.
but it's also hampered by its purpose. And the purpose of the mind is to survive. It is geared completely towards survival. Your survival and its survival as well. Its survival is front and center of its activities. And the way it enables that survival depends on the experiences that it's had, how it reflects on that. To begin with, it's, it's just a question of getting by to avoid, you know, to avoid the perils of wild beasts and the weather, you know, centuries ago, thousands of years ago. And then as communities forms, as communities began to form, it became about the survival in relation to other members of the community. The mind wanted to survive within a community itself. And in doing that, it attempted to work out codes of behavior that would enable it to follow rules that make life simpler. And the Ten Commandments are an example of that. It's one of those codes of behavior that the mind worked out in order to see if we could actually live together more easily. However, the freedom it has to think and self-respect meant that it always had its own self-interest and therefore didn't want to be subject to any form of control unless it was by other minds who tended to control it through fear. So that self-interest is there and it didn't, you know, the self-interest enabled it to be controlled by other minds through fear. And so societies have grown up where the need to control has meant that some rational minds get together for their own self-interest and try to control others. And you get the whole mess that you see around the world now. All different minds, all wanting control, all wanting survival, all wanting their bit of it, all trying to work out how to get it. And, you know, that affects us all. The idea of original sin was used to explain why the mind goes off in these sorts of behavior. There's, you know, whole theology of the fact that Adam and Eve and original sin, and therefore that's why it's all there. But, you know, in reality, it, it sort of happens to each of us in our lives as we go along. You know, we experience, you know, when we're born, I've told this story before, I know, but those of you haven't heard it. When you're born, you do experience yourself as perfect. I mean, in those little beginning years, everything you do is perfect. You know, you wander around, just actually saying a word, oh, you're so sweet. Lovely, it was so wonderful. Your parents come and tell you, you know, you go to the loo. Oh, well done! What a wonderful thing you've done there. Oh, isn't it wonderful? Have you seen what he's done? You know, and you know, you just couldn't be more perfect as you wander around the place. And then, you know, you just feel that sense. You see it in children's faces. They beam and they're just told how marvelous they are. And then, you know, they get to the point where they're so marvelous, you know, they, they, they do a picture and everyone tells how wonderful it is. And then one day they come along, they come into a room and they, they see this huge blank wall in front of them, a white blank wall. And they see their crayons down there and they say, I know, I'm going to draw a really lovely picture for mummy and daddy. So they pick up the crayons, they draw the picture like this, they put all their expression into it, all over the wall. And of course, mummy and daddy come into the room 
And they're horrified. They look at you and they go, what have you done? Look! And you know, for the first time in their lives, something's up. They experience themselves for the first time as not being perfect. You know, not only is the picture not perfect, but they're not perfect. And this is a huge, you see it in children's faces. They go like this, and the enormous conundrum, and they burst the tears. And, and then the mind, at that point, realizes that they're not perfect. They get that sense that they're not because they're told that. And the mind then thinks, what must I do to be perfect? And of course, the, the terrible answer that we all came up with is do what I think they will approve of. And so the corruption begins at that really early age where the mind, in order to survive, in order to get on, makes a decision that he's going to go for the approval of those around us. And that's the beginning of it setting in for all of us. We've all been through that lack of perfection where we suddenly realize that, you know, we're going to do what they think they'll approve of. And you don't get it right every time. In fact, sometimes you're so angry about things, you know, that you will willfully go against the approval of those around you, especially in adolescence. But basically, you begin to see yourselves in terms of the way that other people see you. And the mind begins to operate, not with itself, but also with other people. We want to please others because then they're nice to you. And life works better. And the corruption goes on. You know, we try, it's a manipulation and control. And our rational minds go on from there, chaotically trying to work out the best way for us in our lives. And this is where the tyranny sets in. Because our minds are cruel and oppressive rulers. They essentially don't care. I know we care, but they don't care about anything else but survival. And when they do care, chances are, that they're caring in order to survive in one form or another. And the problem is that each of our rational minds has a monopoly over our thought. Each of your mind has a monopoly over your thought. And it's like having your own lawyer who's always out for you to win, no matter what the consequences all the time going on. And we see these minds fighting their way for control in the world. You know, tyrants running rampant all over the place. You know, creating gangs of minds. You see gangs of minds forming to make sure that they get their own way. You know, gangs that are like families are gangs. You know, you agree to come together and, you know, get your own way as a family. Communities, gangs. Races. Gangs. And countries, they're just big gangs, really, where you all agree to get the best for yourself and to agree to get together to make sure that you win, all legitimizing their gangdom by saying it's for the good of the whole. When they, what they really mean by that is for the good of their gang. Now, I know that it's possible to see you know, this in our lives, you know, to realize, I I know we can actually see this as we look around. And we can see it in ourselves. you know. We can realize that key thing, which you've always said to you, which is that you are not your mind. You are not your rational mind. 
there is something more than just being your rational mind. Although we identify with it, you know, we, we create our personalities around it, but we're not our rational mind. Although it looks quite rare, people recognizing that when you look out there these days. You know, most people do identify with their minds, and consequently they're gangs who think like them. Most people do think like that. When you get to a point where you realize you're not your rational mind, that's quite a big straightforward, uh, quite a big step forward. However, no matter how enlightened we are, there is no escaping the ravages of our own minds. You know, we just become more enlightened and nice about fighting for our survival. More liberal arts survival, rather than fascist survival. Because it's still the same game. You know, we like to feel nice about ourselves. We're nice, caring people. The key thing in all of this is to realize that this is happening. To realize that this is going on. That when we look out and see the terrible things that are going on in the world, how much the world is subject to war and famine and crime, we have to realize that essentially... It's all the product of the rational mind trying to work out how to get the best for itself, as are the great advances of civilization. But that's not the problem we're dealing with here. And that, that's okay. That, that, that will continue. But, you know, we're talking about the problems. The problem is the mess that the world is in. And we know that. We look out there and we think, what's, what's it all? You know, what, how do we deal with it? First thing is to recognize it's all from the mind all of it. We look out and then we try and come up with solutions that will make it all better. You know, laws, governments, bodies, troops, weapons in order to impose order and sanctions and force to bring down dictators. But it's still all the mind trying to work it out. All crime comes from the mind, all oppression, all poverty is a result of the minds trying to exert their will in order that they might survive. And the takeaway from all this is that Einstein quote. That Einstein quote, that no problem can be solved from the same level of consciousness that created it. No problem can be solved by the same level of consciousness that created it. As we look out and try, which let's face it, we're all doing try to create world peace, you know, all those models that go up in world, you know, Miss World Contest. You know, we all want the same thing they do. We do want world peace. That is actually fundamentally what we want. You know, we want to eradicate poverty. We want to reduce violence. The only way you can do that is to deal with the tyranny of the mind. It is the dealing with the tyranny of the mind. It's all in here. And the workings of here... It's in the workings of here that the problems are solved. And I'm not here talking about talking therapy. That's just enabling the mind to make smarter choices about what's going on. There is a place for the development of the rational mind. And that's what we've been doing for centuries. You know, we've been just developing and developing and developing, coming up with better ideas as to how to work together, realizing that law works that there are ways of behaving in community, that slavery is a bad thing, that whole areas of our life together you know, can and should be improved. And we see the benefits of these changes all around us. 
We don't have to compete with bands of robbers when we leave our house, especially in Aspen and in the valley. We have medicine to make us better. We have heating, electricity, the internet, food at the supermarket. But we know it's not really enough. You know, because we look out there and we see the Holocaust. We see needless wars. We see oppression and slavery and the stupidity at the highest levels of government. And it makes us doubt the progress that we've made. It makes us doubt ourselves. But it's still all about the mind surviving. For us to solve the world's problems, here we are. For us to solve the world's problems, we have to solve the problem of the mind. And we have to go beyond the rational mind into a new state of consciousness. We have to go beyond the rational mind into a new state of consciousness that is not dependent on our own survival. Because our desire to survive has, has actually put our very survival at stake. Whether it be nuclear war or global warming, the earth mind is smarter than our rational minds. The earth mind is smarter than our rational minds. And if we let our rational mind continue to hold sway, then the earth mind will have to take us down. By whatever means necessary. Because the earth mind will know, because the reason is that the earth mind has greater survival instincts than ours. The earth mind, you know, the planetary mind, has greater survival instincts than the human mind. How so? Well, the earth mind has been around for billions of years. And we've just been around for a few thousand years. We can't compete with that. It knows more than we do. And unless we adapt, it will adapt us out of the picture. So what I'm saying here is for civilization to develop, we have to go beyond the, ra- the, the machinations of the rational mind. And you have to get to a point in your beingness where your life is not dependent on your rational mind only for its survival. You have to be able to discipline your rational mind. You have to be able to get to a point where your rational mind is not running you anymore. And that is, you know, the answer to the world's problems. We have to get beyond the point where the rational mind is running us. And we have to take control. We have to allow a new sort of consciousness to come into our lives that is not fundamentally driven by the rational mind. How we do that, I'm going to talk about next week. But it is that move away from that survival rational mind into a place where something else can come through that is not dependent on the rational mind. And and it's not until we've done that as a civilization. That is the next step in civilization. We're not going to make it any better with our rational minds. You can see that by looking out at the world. You You know, we can change our hearts. We can have a heart transplant. But we can't stop wars. We can't stop all this madness. And that's because we're not dealing with it at the level. The rational mind, I think, has come to the, the end point of its ability to make things better for us. And we have to give up to something else 
that will allow, that can come in and provide a new sort of mind that we can link into. That's the end of that. So, and if you're not going to be here next week, you can always stream it live if you miss it. And there's a red card at the back that will show you how to do it. Let's pray. And on this Memorial Weekend, we do think of all those who've given their lives in the service of their country. We do think of people who have given that ultimate sacrifice all over the world, putting something before their own ends. We do think of the families that are affected by by those situations, Gold Star families here and people all over the country, all over the world, suffering from loss, loss that goes down the generations. All of us are affected. And we hold those memories in our rational minds. We use those memories as an imperative for change. We pray for our leaders that you will enable them to go beyond that sense of individual survival into a place of love, into a new consciousness that will enable a community to form around the world. Pray for those suffering oppression, difficulty, hunger, war, violence, all those who are at the effect of other minds. Pray for those in prison, homeless, in hospitals, anxious, grieving, not at peace. And we pray that that peace that passes all understanding may come into their hearts and minds. And we also especially pray for those in our community that are are dear to us. Pray for Patricia Hill. For Will Welsh, for Barbara Orcutt, for Sandy St. John, Bill Archer, for MJ Elisha, coming out of hospital today. Pray for Mike Van Savage, for Catherine Langford. Pray for Father Joseph Boyle. and the family of Don Howe. Lord, we offer your healing power to all these people and ask your blessing upon them in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to come round uh, with a plate now um, just to enable you to um, give, you know, the only reason we can keep the lights on, that I can be here, my family can be here, people can work here, is because of what you give. You know, we don't have any other sources apart from what's given, and we, we're dependent upon that. So please give generally so that we can give in turn. If you're watching online, please use the donate button. Thank you.
So we're going to um, go through a ritual of Holy Communion now. Everyone's welcome to join in with this. Um, the thing I love about this is it is a place of no mind. There's nothing to think about. There is just the allowing, the unfolding of it. There's nothing to work out. There's just the sense of being in the place. Uh, there is a little thing you should do. Those words in heavy type are the ones for you to say. And so please do say them, otherwise I'll be standing here on my own. Um, I'll look earnestly out at you. And, uh, and please just join in as and, and how you want. We come to this table of being. We come to the table of Christ. We come to the table of life. And so we honour you, O Divine Spirit, Lord of all creation, giver of life and death, context for all creation. And we give thanks to you, Jesus, who showed the way. And at supper with his friends, you took bread, and after you'd given thanks, you broke it and gave it to them, saying, Take, eat. This is my body, broken for you. After the meal, we took the cup, and once he'd given thanks, you gave it to them, saying, Take this and drink it. This is my blood poured out for you. And so to celebrate our place in this life, showed by your life and in thanksgiving for your wisdom, we eat and drink in openness to your grace. We say together, Great Spirit of all, the one who is in the heavens, hallowed be your nature. May your kingdom come. May your will be done as in heaven, so on earth. Give us today our bread from above that gives our whole life meaning. Cancel our debts as we cancel the accounts of those indebted towards us. And let us not be led into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours, now and forever. Amen.